guys, welcome to Trinity Church Online. For more information, please visit us at ourtrinity.org or you can find us on Facebook at Trinity Church of Wheat Ridge or even on Instagram at Trinity Church CO. No matter where you are today, we are glad that you have joined us here. Hey, let's give a hand to our praise team a minute. You know, how many of you like the, 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 the stuff behind the, the words, the motion? How many of you got seasick with the ocean? That time? No, just it's really nice, guys. You've done a nice job. I really appreciate it. And Derek, what a beautiful time to, to spend some time in prayer, to just wait upon God before we come together with the rest of our worship and for the message to prepare our hearts for that. And, you know, some of us, how many of you feel like maybe not coming today? You ever feel like that? You all felt really excited about coming today? Man, there's this uh, man, he woke up one day and he told his family, he said, man, I, I, I just don't feel like going to church today. He said, man, I just don't feel like I want to go. And his wife said, well, I'll give you three reasons why you need to go. He says, what are they? He says, first of all, you need to set the example for your children. Okay. Second, the scripture tells us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Okay. What's the third reason? You're the pastor. <laughs> I think I've told that before, but <laughs> might be a good idea if I showed up, right? Hey, we are continuing our series on meeting ourselves. That's a series on uh, the parables and the study of the parables. Today, we're going to be looking at the old and the new. We're going to be looking at the example in the parable of the cloth and the wineskins in Luke chapter 5. So I want you to turn there and get ready to look at that passage. But before we begin the message, I want to ask Three questions. First question is, what attitude do you have towards change? How do you handle change? What's your attitude towards change? Second, do you have a newness of life with Jesus? Do you have that newness of life experience? Or is it just ho-hum, it's the same old, same old? Do you have a new life experience right now with Jesus? Then the third question I want to ask is, is your fellowship with Jesus, is it a feast or a funeral? Is your fellowship a feast or is it a funeral? Now, I hope that we can find the answers to those questions as we move into the parable today. And we see Jesus' example as a physician, as a bridegroom, and as a transformer. Let's go look at Luke chapter 5. We'll read the passage and then we'll pray. Luke, the fifth chapter, beginning with verse 27. And I'm going to have you underline a few words as we go through. After these things, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. That's it. Just look at that. That's all he said. Follow me. So he left all, rose up, and followed him. Then Levi gave a great feast in his own house. And there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. And the scribes and the Pharisees complained against the disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician. Underline that. They have no need for a physician. But those who are sick, I have not come to call you to righteousness. I have not come to call the righteous, excuse me, but sinners to repentance. Then they said to him, Why do the disciples John fast often and make prayers, and likewise those of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink? And he said to them, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom, underline that, so physician and bridegroom, 
Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast in those days. Then he spoke a parable to them. No one tears a piece of new garment and puts it on an old one. Otherwise, the new makes the tear, and also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled, and the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins. And no one, having drunk old wine, desires new, for he says the old is better. Let's pray. Old and new. Life challenges us with the old and the new. Father, how do we handle change? How do we handle a newness of life in Jesus? Are we feasting or are we at a funeral with you? Father, open up this parable to us. Help us to see you as the physician, as the bridegroom, as the transformer. So, Father, I pray that you'd bring all of our hearts, our minds, our wills, our emotions to bear upon your scripture that you would find good soil for the seed of your word to take root in our lives today and to transform us, not just to give us, well, that was a good story, but it was a life-changing story. Change us, O God. Help us not to conform to that around us, but be changed by that which is within us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we see here that Levi, who was the son of Alphaeus, had been converted. He's leaving his position as a tax collector, and he's simply going to follow Jesus. And he even has a new name. Now his name is Matthew. So this man has seen a tremendous transformation. And he's given a great feast in order to celebrate this new life that he's experiencing. And Jesus was there. He was invited. And there were two groups of people that were there that began to ask Jesus some questions. Now, the first group was some religious leaders. And they were questioning why the publicans and the sinners, who were Jews but they did not obey the law, were eating with Jesus. So here's their question. You can see it here. Why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? Now, not only did they ask the question, they had already made a judgment here. And the judgment is, you claim to be a man from God, a teacher from God, and yet you eat bread with those who do not obey God. Then the second group doesn't really tell us here, but we see in other places that were some of the disciples of John the Baptist. And here's their question. Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but you and your disciples are feasting? Now, these two questions are going to lead us to the parable for today. They're also going to lead us to Jesus' three illustrations. And those illustrations are going to tell us why he had come and what he wanted to accomplish when he came. 
So Jesus' first illustration answers the question of what they were asking, that he was a physician who came for sinners. Again, let's look at verses 27 through 32, and you've already marked the word physician. So he, he has come to, to uh, Matthew. Matthew uh, has followed him. He's left everything in verse 28, and he followed him. And Levi gave him a great feast in verse 29, and there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with him. And the scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Now notice Jesus' response here. Notice his answer. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So he had come to be the physician. He'd come to heal people of their sickness, specifically of sin. Now, sharing a meal in Jesus' day meant a whole lot more than what it does today. When you sit down and you prepare bread and you serve bread in your house, it means that you are coming into a covenant with those people. It means that you are going to declare yourself as friends, that you're going to declare yourself as allies. That's why Jesus established a meal for the communion. Because if we sit down and we break bread together, we're saying, I'm entering into a covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm entering in as his friend. I'm entering in as his ally. And that's what everybody understood this feast was all about. He was inviting these people to become in covenant with him in his new life and to be able to experience his friendship and his, his alliance. So when the Pharisees began to look over the crowd and they began to look at the guests, they were concerned that there were sinners there who were not part of the upper crust of Capernaum. Now what's interesting here is you go through the scriptures the Pharisees always repelled sinners. But Jesus always attracted them. And the Pharisees had no message of hope for lost sinners, but Jesus came seeking and saving that which was lost. He was there at that meal to seek and to save the lost, just as Levi had come to faith. So Jesus saw these guests that were there as sick, and they needed a physician. Now the Pharisees were just as spiritually sick, but they did not see their need for the forgiveness of sin. They did not see their sickness, but they also needed a physician as well. Now the publicans and sinners, they knew they were sick. They needed the physician. They wanted to be there in the presence of Jesus. And it's interesting because Jesus said, I have not come to call the righteous to repentance. Why? Because the righteous are not going to be seeking repentance. Because those who are righteous are not going to see their need of a physician. And also there's another reason, and we overlook that. Jesus did not call the righteous to repentance because they're none righteous. Romans chapter 3 verse 10 says, there's none righteous. There's none who seek after God. It says everyone's gone their own way. So everyone in that room was in need of a physician. Everyone at the feast were sinners, whether they recognized it or not. But here's Matthew. He had met the physician. Jesus had diagnosed his need, and that was the need for his sin to be forgiven and to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Not only did he not diagnose his sin, he performed the perfect cure by giving his life as a sacrifice for that sin. So he forgave Matthew of his sin and gave him a new name and a new heart. Now, isn't that what Jesus does today as a physician? He has come into your life and he makes the perfect diagnosis of your need for him and the forgiveness of your sin. 
He affects the perfect cure by giving you his life in exchange for your life. And you know what's cool about Jesus? He even pays the bill. When was the last time you went to a doctor and the doctor paid the bill? He actually paid the bill in full. Jesus died for the patients. He didn't, he didn't just come to cure them. He gave himself and laid it down for them. Now, there are only two patients that Jesus cannot cure in life. They were sitting there asking him the question. He cannot cure the one who would not admit that they're sick. And so if you're here today, Jesus Christ cannot cure you of your sin or whatever your need is unless you admit you have a need, unless you admit that you are sick. And second, he cannot cure the one who will not trust him for the cure. Wouldn't it be interesting if all of a sudden tomorrow we have the cure for the coronavirus, but if you didn't trust it, you didn't take it, it wouldn't do you any good. So Jesus cannot cure the one who can't admit they're sick or the one who will not trust him for the cure. Will you trust Jesus for whatever's going on in your life, whatever is contrary to what Jesus Christ would want you to be living, he is the answer to that need. Will you admit your need? Will you trust him for the cure? The second question here, the second illustration, is to answer their question was that he was the bridegroom who came to bring joy. Now look at uh, verses 33 to 35. Now this is John's disciples. They said, why did the disciples John fast? These are the killjoys. They could not stand that the disciples were having a good time at a party. You know any Christians like that? You know any believers like that? Don't want you to have fun as a Christian. It's all to be serious. It's all supposed to be look like you've been baptized in pickle juice or something. They want you sour. This is said, hey, John, John, likewise, those that fast, you, know, you eat and drink, but we're fasting. What's the deal? There's a little girl. And it was the first time she'd ever been to a wedding. First wedding. And she was all excited because she saw the, the, the pastor come out and the groomswoman come out and, and, and the, the groom come out. And then the bridesmaid started coming down the aisle. And the bride started coming down. She's all dressed in white and she's all excited. She turned to her mother and she said, why is the bride wearing white? She said, because this is the happiest day of her life. White is just for happiness and for joy. And a few minutes later, she turned to her mom and says, then why is the groom wearing black? <laughs> well, Jesus is using the illustration of the bridegroom, but he's not wearing black here. He used the illustration to point out, to answer their question. Why do you feast while we are fasting? You've got to remember that these were... John the Baptist's disciples. Go back to Matthew 14. Hold your place here. Let's look at what happened to their leader. Let's go to Matthew 14. Many of you will remember this. Matthew chapter 14, beginning with verse 1. 14.1, Matthew says, At this time Herod the Tetrarch heard the report about Jesus. And he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He's risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work in him. For Herod had laid hold of John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had said to him, it's not lawful for you to have her. 
And although he wanted to put him to death, he feared the multitude because they counted him as, as a prophet. And later on, you're going to read in the same chapter that he did eventually behead John the Baptist in prison. So here comes, now I want you to set this up so you understand this. So here comes the disciples of John, and they ask Jesus and his followers, why are we fasting, yet you are feasting? Now you've got to understand the context here that the wedding feast was one of the greatest social events in the Jewish culture. It was an invitation to feast. It was an invitation to rejoice. And the guests were to rejoice. They were to bring joy. They were to bring joy to the bride and the groom, and they were to be joyful themselves. So when the bridegroom was present, it was not the time to fast. It was not the time to be mourning. It was not the time to be miserable because you're in the presence of the groom. Now, the Christian life is to be like a wedding feast, not a funeral. Now, Jesus' disciples should have been enjoying their bridegroom while he was with them because the day was coming when he was going to be taken away, crucified, laid in the tomb, and resurrected and gone into the presence of God. But see, John the Baptist's disciples should understand this too because at the time of this, John was in prison, separated from him, and just uh, not very long from here, just a few days, maybe within a week or two, he was beheaded and he was gone. They didn't have their leader either. So of all the people, they should have understood while we have the bridegroom, we should be rejoicing. Now, I want to look at this. I want to turn it two ways. How many of you have the, the Holy Spirit within you? You have the bridegroom within you, even though he's in the right hand of the Father, right? One day you're going to die, and you'll no longer have him in you. But where are you going to go? You're going to go into the presence of the bridegroom. One day, this bridegroom, who is in the right hand of the Father, is going to come back, and we're going to have a great celebration of the marriage supper of the Lamb, and we're going to be able to rejoice. You say, well, shouldn't this be a time of fasting? Well, it is. It's a time of fasting and prayer and watching and waiting. But here's the kicker for us today. Jesus didn't leave us alone. John the Baptist left his disciples alone, but Jesus did not leave us alone. He sent his Holy Spirit to come and indwell you the moment you come to faith. So you have the representative of the bridegroom living within you. And so your Christian life should not just be about fasting and mourning and being sour. It should be about a celebration of life, newness of life. We're going to get there in just a minute. Today may be a day of fasting in one sense, but it's a day of great celebration on the other hand. So Jesus' third illustration. Now really, I want you to really zero in because now we're going to get to the parable. So we haven't got to the parable yet. Yeah, I know. Now we're going to get to the parable. And that answers their question. The transformer who came to bring the new, not patch up the old. Would you let that sink in? The transformer has come not to put a patch on your life, but to give you a new life. Look at beginning with verse 35 here. So he's speaking a parable. He says, no one takes a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old one. Otherwise, the new makes the tear, and also the piece that was taken out of the new doesn't match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled, and the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins. And no one, having drunk the old wine, 
desires the new that hadn't even been fermented yet. That's the idea there. Now the word transformer is not here, but it's implied. You know the Jews did not have pre-shrunk clothing like we do? That was a problem. They also, for the most part, kept their liquids in skins. Now, if a woman took an old garment and she takes and puts a new patch on it, that garment's already been washed, but the patch has not been washed yet. So when she washes them, both are going to be destroyed. The old garment's going to be destroyed and the new patch is going to be destroyed and the tear is going to even be worse. And new wine, if it's put into old wineskins that are kind of brittle and dry, when that wine begins to ferment, then it's going to burst the wine, the old skins, and the wine's going to be spilled out onto the ground. So what's Jesus saying to us? He's saying that there has to be a balance between beginning new things and preserving old things. Let me say that again. There's a balance between beginning new things and preserving old things. You say, how in the world, Pastor, you get that? Well, just stay with me. Jesus is going to show us here how to relate the old with the new. So Matthew had just received new life. And I'm sure he's standing there wondering, how am I going to relate this new life to my old Jewish faith? See, the Pharisees were conformers. John the Baptist had been a reformer, but now he had met Jesus, who's the transformer. See, Jesus does not reject, now follow me, Jesus does not reject the old, nor does he reject the new. See, this is what we do. Well, I'm going to accept the old and reject the new, or I'm going to accept the new and reject the old. That's not where Jesus was. He did not reject the old, or did he reject the new. He transformed, that should be on our notes, he transformed the old so that it was fulfilled in the new. Would you follow that? He transforms the old so that it can be fulfilled in the new. Jesus said, I'm not come to destroy the law, but to do what? To fulfill the law. Now, I wish I had an acorn, because this is the best illustration I could think of this. So let's pretend I have an acorn in my hand. There's two ways I can destroy this acorn. I can take this acorn out to the pavement, I can take my hammer, and I can beat it to a pulp until I absolutely destroy it. I can destroy the acorn. Or I can take that acorn, and I can plant it in the ground, and let it become an oak tree. Both times the acorn is destroyed. But when I plant it in the ground, it's destroyed to become fulfilled in what it was meant to be. You follow me? How many of you follow me? Now, Jesus did not come to patch up the old. He didn't come just to put a patch on your life.
He didn't come to put a patch on the old Jewish religion. He came to fulfill it with his life and with his teaching, with his death, with his burial, with his resurrection. The old was going to be fulfilled in the New Testament. Who we were before was going to be not patched up, but transformed to be fulfilled for what God wanted us to be. Warren Wiersbe put it this way, and there's a great quote. He said, to try to mix the law and grace, to try to mix Moses and Jesus would have destroyed both. So Jesus permitted the law to be fulfilled in grace, and he permitted Moses to be fulfilled in Jesus. That's what God accomplished. Now, see, our human bodies, here's another way I'm going to try to illustrate it, is not the same as it was yesterday. It's not the same that it was a week ago or a year ago. Your cells, millions of them, are constantly being made new. Your cells are renewed all the time, day after day after day after day, millions of them. And here's the thing, the new comes out of the old body. But it's not the same. Cellularly, it is different. The human body has to renew itself. Now, true tra- now follow me now. True transformation comes from within. It does not come from without. And, and this is what happens to us. We think we're changing because we change our hairstyle or we change the color of our hair or we change our shirt or we change our clothes, we change our car, we ch- change our, our spouse, we, you know, whatever we do. We think that we're changing because we're outwardly conforming. That's not transformation. That's just change. You following me? So I don't care if that's politically, spiritually, uh, wherever you want to apply that, just doing something new or different is not, it's change, but it's not transformation. God didn't put a new patch on you, old garment. He didn't put new wine of His Spirit into old wineskins. See, it's not the force without that changes us. It's the force within that changes you. And that is the Holy Spirit. So when you came to Christ, Jesus didn't do a partial job. He didn't... How many of you have ever put a patch on a bicycle tire? He didn't patch up your tire. He gave you a new tire. He gave you a new life. He comes to transform your life through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And that's what he says. Don't be conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed through the renewing of your mind. That's what I'm trying to do with you this morning is to renew your mind to what you have in Jesus. Turn me to 2 Corinthians 5.17. I'm going to quote it, but I want you, if you don't have that verse marked, I want you to mark it. I want you to yellow highlight it. I want you to absolutely realize this is the, this is the transformation passage of Scripture that you should have memorized. You with me? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. 
If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things. Some of us love to read that, some things. All things have become the same. Is that what it says? No. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Now, not only is this past tense, this is in the continuous action verb. So in other words, all things have not only passed away, but are continuing to pass away. Current action. And also, not only are they passing away, but all things have become new. Not just once, but continuous action. They continue to become new and new and new. You're renewed. So your life is not conforming to that which is outside of you. It is being transformed from what is within you by the renewing of your mind through the Word of God. That means that a vital, fresh experience with Jesus Christ grows out today out of the old day of yesterday. And I tell you what, we get into ruts and we get so that you know, man, what I experienced years ago was far better. Yesterday was far better than today. Then since something's wrong, we're not being renewed. We're not being allowing the old to pass away and the new to become new. So that brings me to those beginning three questions I had this morning to start the message. Number one, does your attitude towards change allow Jesus to be the change agent? You following me? Does your attitude towards change, and I don't care what it is, I don't care if it's in your church, I don't care if it's in your faith, your family, your job, does your attitude towards change allow Jesus to be the change agent? And does your attitude towards change allow Jesus to be the physician, to bring healing, to be the bridegroom, to bring joy in the midst of that change? to bring transformation as a transformer in the midst of that change. Second question. Are you experiencing newness of life? Uh, it's a drag. It's the same old, same old, day after day, nothing changes, nothing works, God isn't real. Let me ask you two questions. What patches need to go? What patches need to go? All things becoming new. What wineskins that you're trying to put this new wine into and it won't work and it won't fit needs to go? Is your fellowship with Jesus, is it a feast or is it a funeral? Now, you might notice up here this morning that this isn't Joseph's coat of many colors. <laughs> there are patches on here. You can't put a new patch on an old garment. So we're going to have a response to the message today. 
in, in a minute, we're going to begin to play some of my favorite music is done by Sela. They take songs that have tremendous, we're going to put the words up. But this is what I want you to do. If you're capable of coming up here. Now, I want to warn you because there is a piece of wood here that you can stumble over. This is going to be hard. And this is a, a, a straight pin so you can poke yourself and end up bleeding all the way back to their chair. But let's get back to serious. I want this patch to represent something. Something old that has to go. Something new that has to start. Maybe getting rid of an old wine skin that you're trying to put this new spirit of life into. Maybe your fellowship has just been a funeral and you want it to be a feast. Whatever it is that God's speaking to your heart. And we, we can't wait forever, but if God's leading you, I just want you to come up. And I want you to stay six feet apart. Now let, let's keep social distancing. But I want you just to come up and I want you just to take one of these. And then what I want you to do is I want you to take it home for about a week and let it remind you of what God is wanting to do in either removing something old or giving you something new or bringing it to a feast rather than a funeral. You got it? Okay, so I'm going to pray. And I want that music to be up. I want to fill the auditorium. I want us to, you know, not be so we can't hear it. And to watch the words. And you come. Now, if you can't come, there's a physical reason you can't come. You raise your hand. I'll pull off one of these and I'll bring it to you. If you want to make that decision today. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you that just like Derek preached last week about soil that has to be prepared, now we flow into the fact that not only does our life need to be prepared for your word, but we need to be transformed to allow you to be the physician to bring healing to us, to allow you to be the bridegroom to bring joy back into our life. So, Lord, whatever it is that we need to let go of that needs to be done or whatever needs to become new, whatever that might represent for us, that it might be a meaningful, heartfelt experience. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You come.